This is Mitchell McLam, lead pastor of Sapona Road Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina. We're so excited you found our podcast. Our prayer is that you're blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about Sapona Road Church or would like to give to this ministry, please visit our website at saponaroadchurch.com. We hope you have a great day and enjoy today's message. speaking about time you may hear the word time quite a few times so just hold on time the definition of time is described as the indefinite continued progress of existence and events in the past present and future regarded as a whole time it can be measured in seconds minutes hours weeks years and even lifetimes. Time. We make it, waste it, kill it, save it, and sometimes it seems we never have enough time. But one thing we cannot do is rewind. Our time cannot be recycled. It can't be revisited. Once it's gone, it's gone. Each of us today at some point have told ourselves we don't have enough time. Our, our days go by. We're tossed to and fro, making sure everything gets done. We wake up in the morning and we try to make sure that we're getting ready to go to work. We're trying to get babies dressed and dropped off at daycare. We're trying to make sure that as we go through our day that we have so much allotted time to do things. Our calendars are stretched. Our, our schedules are dictating what we do. Me and Rebecca have um, a shared calendar. The whole iPhone thing has where you can share what you're going to do. Rebecca is very planning and detail-orientated, so... All of her stuff is put on there, haircuts, nail appointments, uh, dentist appointments. I have my ortho appointments. All that stuff is on there. And every day I look on there to see what I have to do. We have a to-do list that we share every day. Sometimes I get reminders of, I got to do this today, got to do this today. Our time is always allotted for certain things. I got grass that needs to be cut. If, if you ride by the house and you see grass up to here, don't judge me, please. Uh, it's been a long week. There is an insert from the screw tape letters that C.S. Lewis has. It goes like this. There's a legend about Satan and his imps planning their strategy for attacking the world that's hearing the message of salvation. One of the imps says, I've got an idea, Master. When I get on earth and take, care, take charge of people's thinking, I'll tell them there's no heaven. The devil responds and says, Ah, they'll never believe that. The book of truth is full of messages about the hope of heaven and sins forgiven. They won't believe that, and they know there's a glory yet future. On the other side of the room, another one stands up and says, I've got the plan. I'll tell them there's no hell. No good, Satan says. Jesus, while he was on earth, taught more of heaven, taught more of heaven than of hell. They know that their hearts and their wrongs will have to be taken care of in some way. They deserve nothing more than hell. And one brilliant little imp in the back stood up and said that I know the answer. I just tell them there's no hurry. And that's the one that Satan chose. It says procrastination is the ultimate thief of time. Whenever I was in high school, probably like many of you, when you were in school, you got deadlines coming up. We procrastinate. If that's your case, then that's great. But for most of us, procrastination, we think about what we have to do. We try to do it. 
and then we wait till the last minute, and then all of our time is consumed trying to do the thing we should have done, even myself. Uh, Rebecca tells me, if you'd, have, if you'd have done this, this, and this, and planned it out, then you wouldn't have had to spend all your time trying to do it last minute. During our time together today, I want to share with you some things that have been on my heart and just kind of been been pressing me to kind of share some personal things and just what the Lord's given me today. God wants our time to be thoughtful. Henry David Thoreau said, it is not enough to be busy. The question is, what are we busy about? God wants us to be intentional. Amen. He wants us to spend our time doing things that are thoughtful, not just going through the motions of everyday life. Whenever we say we're busy, what are we busy with? What is it that we've, we're so consumed with doing? A lot of times I catch myself being on Facebook. When I could be doing something else, I mean, not enough time to cut the grass, but um, I spend each little increments of stuff either on the phone or texting somebody, maybe not even trying to respond to something that's pressing, but just talking to somebody. And talking is great, but when we fill our time with things that we could be doing other things with, we realize that it's not as thoughtful as what it could be. We say we have free time. Do you enjoy watching TV in your free time? Do you play video games? Whatever the case is, when you look back on that time, do you feel like it was well spent? Do you feel like you just threw it away? Do you feel like it was something that you're like, man, I wish I would have done this instead? Or you catch yourself after your free time or whatever you filled your day with going, ah, oh, I meant to do that. And sometimes it's, it's good for us to have that free time, but also in those times we need to realize to be thoughtful with our intentions. Because there's a limit on everything, we have to have an experience and not be wasting the time that's been entrusted to us. Everybody woke up this morning and you didn't know if you were going to today and tomorrow, not promised, but we're entrusted with the time today. Most of us know that um, death is coming and I'm not saying anything gory, but there was a lady one time uh, in a church service that we were at that she went to the altar and she was warning salvation, but she said something that I've never really heard someone say in the altar before, but she said, maybe next time. Later that evening on her way home, she got in a bad car accident and passed away. And so when we're entrusted with our daily lives, make sure that we're doing all we can to do with it. For every birth, there's going to be a death. For every celebration, there's going to be someone crying. Um, I thought about that in other times of being at the hospital when we had Mackenzie when Mackenzie was born. I, I was like, you know, they have every statistic. Somebody dies every so many seconds. Someone is birthed every so many seconds. And once you think about it in the vast world, then that's true statistic. I'm thinking just Fayetteville, North Carolina, Cape Fear Valley. But anyway, we don't have the luxury to just sit by and let life go on and not be thoughtful of our intentions during the day. Matthew West released a song in 2012. Many of you may know it. The song is called Do Something. And I'm going to read the lyrics. I'm not going to sing them because I don't sing. Well, I do sing, but anyway. When I do sing, I don't remember the lyrics, so that's why I have to read them. It says, I woke up this morning, saw a world full of trouble now, thought, how do we ever get so far down, and how's it ever going to turn around? 
So I turned my eyes to heaven, and I thought, God, why don't you do something? And he said, well, I just couldn't bear the thought of people living in poverty, children sold into slavery. The thought disgusted me. So I shook my fist at heaven and said, God, won't you do something? He said, I did. I created you. If not us, then who? If not me and you. Right now, it's time for us to do something. If not now, then when? Will we see an end to all this pain? Oh, it's not enough to do nothing. It's time for us to do something. Each of us are in different seasons of our life, and each of us are tasked with certain things that God has placed in our lives to do. Um, Rebecca cleans teeth every day, and during that time of her day, she's very thoughtful to get in as much as she can of teeth cleaning and also a little bit of personalness. She'll sit there and she'll, she'll try to talk to them, but if she tried to talk to the people while she cleaned her teeth, she probably wouldn't get a lot done. I'd be the world's worst hygienist because I want you to, to respond as I talk, and so it's not a very good conversation. There was a lady that cleaned my teeth one time. She could understand the... I don't know if Rebecca's quite gotten to the point where she can understand the, the murmurs, but it's okay. The time that we use and the actions that we have has a greater impact for the kingdom. When we're more thoughtful about how we spend our time, then there's a greater impact that we have as we invest in the kingdom. Amen? Our second I, our second letter is invest. God wants our time to be invested in the kingdom. Jim Ron states that time properly invested is worth a fortune. And this goes with our scripture in Matthew 6, 19 through 21. I'm going to read the message version, but also out of the New Living Translation. The message says, don't hoard treasure down here where it gets eaten by moths and corroded by rust or worse, stolen by burglars. Stockpile treasure in heaven where it's safe from moth and rust and burglars. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is, is the place where you most want to be and end up being. Our treasures are very important to us. Um, I've got a treasure that I want to go to one day, and that being um, a cabin in Tennessee. In case you don't know, Jonathan loves, loves Tennessee, and... It's just because most of it is I'm a big fella. I thought personally whenever I walked up here and everybody's mic started cutting out that I was interfering with the signal somehow. <laughs> I was like, I never sit up here. I come up here and Melissa's mic starts going out. And I was like, okay, I'll never come and sit in the front again. But um, when I go to the mountains, um, oftentimes people say, describe them. They, are they short? They're tall? And I'm like, well, most people are short to me. So it's not a thing of where... Everybody's taller than me, but when I go to Tennessee, the mountains are bigger than me. There's a lot of stuff that's bigger than me, and it reminds me of how awesome and how creative our God was to make such a beautiful place, and it reminds us of how small we are in comparison to him. Amen? The New Living Translation of Matthew 6, um, 19 through 21, says, Don't store up your treasures here on earth, where moths eat them and rust destroys them, where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven, where moths and rust can't destroy, and thieves don't break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, their desires of your heart will be also. I have, of course, that dream of owning a cabin in Tennessee. We, uh, we go there quite often, but my treasure isn't there. My treasure is in heaven. The things that we do to things that I do should always be something investing in the kingdom. 
we oftentimes get caught up in investing our time in other things. They say time is money. I've heard that, that saying since I was little, and you never quite understand it till you realize that time could be money on the job. Time could be money, not necessarily physical money, but whenever you are spending your time somewhere, it could be used in such a greater importance. Some people with like money, they're either going to invest it or they're going to blow it, right? Sometimes we invest too much of our time in our job, our position, our financial status, our our ministry. That could be that could be the tough part. We can we can get so involved in the ministry that we're not even investing it the right way. We want to have the the biggest ministry or the biggest career. Um, I work at Pepsi also, for those of you who didn't know, um, and I've been fortunate enough to kind of move from job to job, kind of like promotions, um, not because I was striving for it, but because it opened up and I took it. But some people are so consumed that they leave their family behind, they leave their friends behind because they want to, they want to climb that ladder of greatness. And the time that they invest in that could be spent at home, could be spent at church, could be spent with others. Um, I got this job, that's when we decided to have a baby because when I was working these other jobs, I would spend 14 hours a day with some other guy. I mean, he was a good friend and all, but I didn't even get to see my wife. I was gone majority of the days. She'd be at home. I wouldn't get home till 9 o'clock. And it wasn't that I wanted to be there, but it was something we had to do. So it's different if you're investing your time in a job that you have to be at or meaningly, thoughtfully investing your time into other things. Years ago, um, Sister Day, who's gone on to be with the Lord with her husband, um, she was a widow at the time, and we as a church got together, and we went to her house. She had beautiful land way out on 210, and she had a lot of pine trees. <laughs> and so everybody brought a rake, and everybody kind of got together, and we, we went out there and cleaned up her yard. Her yard had looked like a mess. She didn't have anybody to go out there. She didn't have the money to spend for anybody to go out there to clean her yard up, and we did so. And in that doing so, that time was well invested. That time, you can't, you can't argue that that time wasn't invested in the kingdom. Um, there was actually a bad accident on the way, and I myself had drove by. I said a prayer for the people, but I got to the house, and Sister Gore had told me, she said, I actually, she got out the car and went and prayed with the person in the car. And ever since then, it's always stuck with me because I've never thought to, you never think to get out and pray with the person in the accident. I mean, if the police were there, it's a little bit harder to get into the thing, but she invested her time. She could have been like, well, I got to hurry up and get there. I got to go because they're waiting on me. But she took time to stop, to pray, to invest in those people's lives. I mean, she probably don't even know them, don't know where they're at, but she took that time. If you had time to witness, would you do it? If you had time to talk to somebody that you didn't know, um, I was sitting at a McDonald's at Carolina Beach, and when you're sitting there just eating, nobody knows if you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian. And there's a guy that walked by. He didn't even say anything to me. He just walked by the table and slid a piece of paper next to my little tray. <laughs> What's this guy doing? <laughs> like, is he, I, was, I thought it was some money. I was like, man, this is a blessing. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> but... The little paper was, it was a Bible tract. And I was like, 
I said, I was very thoughtful. And after that, I was like, hey, this is a good idea. But anyway, the guy slid it to me. He walked by, went and got his drink or something like that. He turns back around and he comes back and he, he says, did you have a chance to look at it? And I said, yes, sir. He said, um, what do you think? And then I got to talking to him. I said, well, I, said, I think it's a very good Bible track. I said, might even use it at our church. And he goes, oh, you got it. So he said, you already go to the church? And then he kind of like, he was about to walk away. And I said, yeah. And I asked him what church he goes to. But in that moment of witnessing, he could also found out, you know, we are also fellow Christians. And it was a good little time. We had a conversation. But I appreciated him regardless of who I was or what I was taking the time to slide his little track to me. We're going to take a minute. I want everyone to just kind of sit back and think and in your imagination follow along with me. Uh, we're going to go to your funeral. might not be what you want to think about this morning, but just, just bear with me. We're standing there at your funeral, kind of like the, the story with Ebenezer and the, the ghosts that take him to past, present, future, but... We're standing there, and the pastor's about to give a eulogy. He looks out among the fan, friends and family, and the eulogy is sitting there to honor your life. When he's given the eulogy, is it the words that you would expect him to say? Is it, is it something that honors your life? Did he have to dig to find something to say good about you? Or was your life one of those things where all he had to do was talk to a couple of people and they talked about how good you were, the life that you lived, that you were a Christian, that you were a doer of the word, not just a hero of the word, but you, you lived a life that reflected that you were investing your time into the kingdom, that you were, you were someone that whenever you got the opportunity that you would, you would witness to somebody. Or are you the person to where whenever he got up to give the eulogy, he had to not necessarily preach you into heaven or anything like that, but he kind of had to say some some basic, you know, familiar things of like, well, you know, Susan was a good person, and Susan donated some clothes to the little drop-off box in the Walmart parking lot, and I saw her buy Girl Scout cookies one time, or is it going to be the other side? Which one would you want? Would you want to be the person that they don't have to try very hard to let people know how good of a person you are? None of us want to be, I guess, a, a bad person. We always want... When I think of my funeral, I would like for there to be good things said. If any of y'all show up to my funeral, make sure that you stand up and um, testify on my behalf. Would you be satisfied with the time that you spent? Would you be looking back, if you had a snapshot, if there was a reel, like a, a teaser trailer or something of your life, would it show the highlights? Would the highlights be high moments? Would they be low moments? Would they be moments that you would you would want to be displayed or would it be the moments like uh the beauty and the beast where the person gets turned away at the door for needing somewhere to stay these things are things that we should think about when we try to invest our time in the kingdom our next letter is m god wants our time to be meditated on him when we think about meditating we also think that i'm too busy to meditate i think of the people that sit there with their hands like this and their legs crossed and they they're like doing the mmm or do you think um there's a picture that's Carter's got of the the famous statue by August Roden of the the thinker do you think this is what meditating is do you think you just kind of sit back and put your hand on your fist and say hmm what am I going to do today what what does the Lord want me to do do I need to pray to the Lord today do I need to read his word 
when you meditate, do you stop to think or do you kind of actively do it? It's not a passive nor powerless. Rather, meditation is reflecting and considering and pondering and contemplating. It's an active and deliberate effort to do something involving both mind and heart. It says meditation is learning to think of God in the business of real life. The Apostle Paul concludes his letter to the believers in Philippi, and he says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Our minds are running constantly. I, um, I'm constantly thinking of things I've got to do next week. I'm thinking of things I've got to do today. I'm thinking of things that I've got to do a month from now, um, trying to plan vacation and things like that. But we got to stop and meditate. I don't even really think of that word when I think of stopping. Meditate is not one of those words. When you meditate, it's almost like it's one of those, um, what is it, writing theories that they tell you to do. Like stop and think about what you're going to write about for this, this school paper. But... When we stop to meditate, we should be studying and reflecting Scripture. In Philippians, Paul exhorts to us to force our minds to deliberately fix its attention to God and His works. He instructs us to meditate on the certain attributes of God. He wants us to focus on them and not just kind of go through our day. The only time we say our prayers is when we're blessing our food or after we've already ate and we want to bless the food that we've already received. But it says in Romans 12, 2, that we're going to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Without the meditation, our lives become simply just going through the motions. Without meditation, we can't examine our lives and live it the way we should. Colossians 1.10 says, life, Live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way. When we meditate on the Lord, we spend time with Him. Um, many of us have seen the movie War Room. If you haven't, Ladies Night is going to be watching it. Um, but in the movie, the lady has a prayer closet. And not all of, all of us can physically take everything out of our closet and turn it into a prayer closet. But even if you set aside a room or something in your house to where you can pray, to where you can meditate. And I remember in the movie that the, the lady goes to sell her house. And it's so, spoiler alert if you haven't seen it, I'm sorry. But she goes to sell her house and the guy walks in. And he says, there's something, there's something different about this room, is, is he could feel the difference. And it was that she had spent so much time with the Lord in there that she had meditated on, that she had prayed and seeked him and read her word. And whenever we think about meditation, we should think about doing these things and reading and studying the word. Because without it, all we're doing is living a life. Without hearing the word, reading the word, doing the word, we have no idea of what God wants us to do. Our last and final letter is E, engaged with others. God wants our time to be engaged with others. I got a question for you. Who is the most important person in the world to you? You can think about it for a second. Many of us would say it's Jesus, it's God. That's the, that's the Christian answer. That's, that's what you would expect someone to hear when you say who's the most important person you might expect me to say it's Rebecca. You might expect me to say it's Mackenzie. You might not expect me to say it both to either one of them because one might think the other one is love more than the other. But 
the most important person in the world should be the person that is in front of you. It's the one that you're with in the moment and then the next moment and the next moment. When you're with someone, you should take that time to be with them. Um, I have a hard time. I asked, I asked Brian, I said, what, what would be my worst quality? We were talking about something a while back. And he says, probably your worst quality would be time management. Honest answer. Not really brutal because I hear it from everybody. Um, and I made, a, I made a comment to Brian, not really thinking of today. I said, yeah, but it's my time. And so I can do with my time what I want to do with my time. But not trying to be selfish or be like, you know, I don't care about, I genuinely care about others. And that's why when I spend time with someone, I want it to be invested. I want it to be thoughtful. I have a, a grandfather. I call him the old veteran because he was a, a major in the Army. And when he wants something, he wants it. And when, whenever he calls me, I know the answer isn't, can you help me? The answer is, when can you come by? And oftentimes, there's been very few times he goes, just come by and show me something. Um, years ago, I taught him how to use a computer. He's like in his late 80s, early 90s, still, still doing the computer. And my dad recently got him an iPhone 8. So that's opened up new windows of opportunity. But when I go to his house, I find it very hard, not only with him but others, I find it hard to walk in do what I said I'm going to do, show you what I'm going to show you, whatever, whatever, and leave. I can't do it. I can't go to anybody's house, walk in and walk out, even if I like you a little bit. <laughs> um, I want to spend time with you. I want to get to know you. Um, when I spend time with him, I found out a lot more than what I knew. Oftentimes I feel like we don't engage enough with others. Um, I never knew the story of my grandfather and how he got into the war and how he did everything. He actually had a um, like premature older brother that died very early, and he used his birth certificate to get into the Army. And so I was like, man, this is back when them cats wanted to go. And so he was in, in the Army in the war. They found out he was too young. They sent him back, and then he joined the, the reserves. And there were some guys, that, older guys, that are in there talking about this, this, and this. And he says, guys, I've already been to the war. You're just, you're just talking about it. But when I spent this time to get to know him, I found out a lot of interesting and cool things about my grandfather. All of us here have things that we have to do. We have responsibilities. We have roles, positions that we have to carry out. But in doing so, we cannot be consumed with not actually engaging with others. Um, when Pastor Mitchell came, we started this roller coaster of transitions. Very good stuff. And um, I got consumed with it because I like to do stuff. I like to get, get going. I like to do things. And once the ball gets rolling, I get focused, especially anything with church, because church is a great catalyst for change in other people. So anything that's going to benefit and upbuild the kingdom and the house of the Lord, I'm going to do it. So. We started getting involved in everything. We started making some changes, very great changes, but I got tunnel vision. And it took Brother Tim, who wasn't, isn't here today, um, but he came up to me after a couple of Sundays, and I always talk to Brother Tim, I'd, and I talked to anybody in the morning, um, but he came up to me. He said, can I talk to you? I said, yeah. He says, what's wrong with you? <laughs> I was like, what do you mean what's wrong with me? He's like, he's like, for three weeks, he said, you, you've been not yourself. He said, you've been um, just kind of walking by. He said, you don't say, hey, you don't shake your ha my hand or whatever. He said, and when you do talk to me, he said, it's very quick and very, like, you move on. 
And, I mean, I held myself together. When I got done talking to him, I was like, wow. I mean, it, it shook me because I love to talk to each and every one of you. I, if I get the opportunity, there's so many people, but I like to talk to everybody. That's, that's another one of my character flaws. Um, we'll be in Walmart, and I'll see somebody. I'm like, Rebecca's like, we got to go because I can stand there and talk. But when Brother Tim brought that to my attention, I was, I was hurt. I told Rebecca about it that evening. I said, you know, I said, Brother Tim talked to me today. I said, and he said that I'm, like, distracted. That's the word he used. He's like, you don't seem like yourself. And so ever since then, I've been trying to pull back. I've been trying to reel myself back in because I want to be personal. I want to engage with other people. Um, there's a story of Billy Graham. I feel like everybody probably knows Billy Graham, but the individual that led Billy Graham to Christ wasn't the youth leader that Billy Graham wanted to send under. I didn't know it until kind of studying, but Billy Graham was rejected from joining a youth group because he was too worldly. And so I was like, well, that's, that's a little bit different. But there was a guy named Mordecai Ham. We know Billy Graham, but we don't necessarily know Mordecai because Mordecai is the one that led Billy Graham to Christ. And through Mordecai, look at all the lives that Billy Graham has touched. So when we, when we engage with others, we never really know the true outcome of what it could be when we do that. Um, I have one last verse of Scripture, and it is in Matthew. It's actually a couple of verses of Scripture, so just bear with me. Matthew and Mark. It's in verse 22, 34 through 40. And it says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, and tried to trap him with his question. He said, Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all of the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. We're going to flip over to Mark. Mark 12, uh, 31. And it says... The second is equally important. Love the Lord your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself, and no other commandment is greater than these. So if Christ specifically tells us to love our neighbor as we love ourselves and to love God, how can we not engage with people? How can we, how can we simply walk by others if we're saying we love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, and spirit, and we love our neighbor as ourselves? I get it. Some people don't want you to talk to them. I have a boss that says if he goes to church, he wants to sit on the back, and he don't want nobody to bother him. He wants to leave. But for the most majority of the part, I feel like people want to be interacted with. That's what um, Disney World and Apple and all these other people have in common is great customer service. People want to be interacted with on a level of, I feel like you value me. I feel you like you, you think I'm important. When we're engaged with everyone, it needs to be our undivided attention. I um I can I can do it. I try not to do it, but like with Brother Tim, if I'm busy, I can have a full blown conversation with you and not hear a word you say. And it's it's bad on my part. And I don't I don't do it all the time. There's a guy at work who's who's legally deaf and I worked with him for a whole year and I learned a lot of things about people that have 
hearing capability. He can hear with hearing aids, but he he turns them off. <laughs> but whenever he gets them, he'll cut them down and he'll go and talk to the customer, and the customer will say something. And because he's been been like that from a very young age, he's learned that he can look you in the eye, hear your conversation, and just say, mm-hmm, and walk away. And you might not even said something that required a mm-hmm, but he does that and he walks away. And then I'll tell I'll tell the customer, I say, I say, ma'am, sir, he he can't hear very well. He didn't hear you. And there's been instances where people get mad because when he did such, they felt like he disrespected them. And you never want to be someone that disrespects somebody because especially in our atmosphere, in the church world, that can go a long way as to driving someone away from the Lord. I have a an interesting story of engaging and some of you heard it some of you may not have heard it and I'll probably tell the story until I die because it's very near and dear but um, the church I used to go to I would cut grass on the weekends as a high school student um, I would cut grass Justin helped cut grass as well back then we um, we did it all day Saturday a very very big field and a lot of weed eating and such but this particular day I was cutting grass by myself and I had seen this couple walk by um, there was a neighborhood behind the church and I'd seen them a few times but I never really had got to talk to them because usually I would be way back off in the field and didn't have time to get to them um, one particular day I was weeding by the road and they walked by and I stopped and went up to them and kind of introduced myself uh, as the guy cutting grass that day and I went to church there and I asked him, I said, would you, would you guys like to come to church with us? He's like, oh, yeah, we, we, um, we've been looking for a church and things like that. And so many times, like me, you've probably invited someone and they say that. And you don't expect them to show up because a lot of people say what you want to hear when you're talking to them. And lo and behold, next day, they showed up at church. And I was like, wow, these, these people showed up. That's like from one of the first people that's ever actually came after I invited them. But they end up telling us that they're missionaries from Jamaica. Um, I didn't know that when they talked to me because they didn't tell me, but in a world today, they might not have been the people that I would have went to if it was your typical scenario. I'm, I'm white. Um, they were black. They were walking. If you were some of some other church, not this church, but sometimes people don't invite people because of how, how they perceive them. They think, well, Maybe they can't really contribute to the church. But that's not what it's about. It's about reaching them. Anyway, they came to the church, and they stayed. Um, they would leave and come back for missionary journeys to Jamaica. They, had, they were, The only reason they were there was because they said times in Jamaica were tough. There were some times of persecution, and they had to get out. So that's why they were in town, and I got to meet them. And they still go to church there to this day, but they came you know, when they could for two years. It was often Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday, they got involved, they got into things, and um, they would preach and they would do teen stuff. They, they did whatever they could because they loved the Lord. And it came down to it um, October 10th, 2010. Her name is Sister Sarah, and she was preaching a message that morning. And I probably couldn't tell you what the message was because as service started, my mother walked in. And when my mother walked in, 
Um, she had recently been in a bad accident and was in ICU in Chapel Hill for a while. And she had a neck brace on. And she came to church that morning because she said, she said, I wanted to see my son this morning because um, I was busy, right? Uh, they stayed about 15, 20 minutes from town, and I was in school and everything. So she came to church that morning, and she came, and she heard the message that Sister Sarah was preaching that morning. <clears throat> and on October 11th, the next day, she passed away. at the funeral service you know they talked about the, the things that she had did in her life they talked about all the stuff that she had done she had raised kids but Sister Sarah she came up to me and she said that she said Brother Jonathan said in a Jamaican voice she said Brother Jonathan I did not know that it was your mother she said that she came to the altar and gave her heart to the Lord the day before that she passed away and uh, that was my fleece on the ground that was something that I desired for a long time it was something that she would come to church for Easter she would come to church for Christmas and she was She was one of those persons that years ago had got church hurt and didn't want nothing to do with the Lord. And so knowing that at a young age, I tried to always be careful of what I say to people and such. But did I know three years ago that <clears throat> interacting, engaging with Brother Frank and Sister Sarah, that they would come to my church and be the ones to preach the message of salvation to my mother. No, I didn't know that. Had I known it, would I have done it? Of course I would. If you'd known that someone that you could talk to would end up being the one that saved someone in your family that needed the Lord, would you do it? Of course you would. But should we do it anyway, not knowing that they would or not? Of course we should. Brother Sarah and Sister Frank, they keep in touch. Um, last year when my sister died, they were leaving to go to the airport to go to Jamaica. They said, Brother Jonathan, we heard about your sister. We canceled our trip. They said, we canceled our trip to come be with you. All I did invite, was invite these people to church. I didn't do nothing special to them in my mind. But to them, I introduced them to some great people. They loved it. And they still go there. They still, my grandmother still goes there. They talk to her quite regularly. She keeps them updated with things, but when we're investing our time, we should be thoughtful of what we do with it. We should be investing it. We should meditate with the Lord. We should be engaging with others. That story is, is tough for me to, to tell sometimes because 
of course, it, it makes me tear up. But the, the story is so powerful. The story itself is just showing what's simple engaging with people. Not even if we throw the word engage out. If we just want to be loving others as we are, those things can happen. I'm not saying that. It's going to happen all the time. And I didn't do it knowing that that would ever happen, but I would do it again, even if it wouldn't have happened. With my mother, I thought that it was going to take someone like Danny Bird or one of these big evangelists to come and have this fire sermon for her to be like, you know what, Lord, I want to I want to give a part to you. The sermon that Sister Sarah preached was, wasn't no shouting sermon. It was a sermon of a love that a father can give. It was a sermon of Christ and what he'd done for you. And that changed her whole mentality of the Lord and of church. And I believe that the Lord directed those things and all these things were ordered for that day, for that purpose. But I just want to remind you of things like that. That's If I could say this whole sermon was something that I wanted to end it with that to to leave an impact, then that's exactly what I hope it accomplished today. I want to ask that we all stand and grab the hand of your neighbor. I'm not going to call you to the altar. I want you to stay in your seat and just kind of, kind of think for a minute. We're going to pray in a second, then we'll be dismissed. And But as we stand here holding the hands of our neighbors, even if you look around this room, do you know everyone in this room? Have you taken the time to engage with others? Um, of course, we are a small church, and I hear a lot of people say, well, small churches, you kind of know everybody. But if you ask yourself, do you know everybody here? I mean, I know we're busy, we come in, we go, but during the next couple of weeks or however long it takes you, just get to know people. Because if we're doing our job, we won't stay a small church forever because if we're reaching engaging people, we're going to grow. But as we grow, we can't lose the grasp of the small church closeness. Amen.